0: We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by
1: intelligences greater than man's. Men from Moto Digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Intellects vast,
0: cool, and unsympathetic.
1: Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Manor Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com. Greetings, people of Earth. We're the Men from Moto, and you're listening to episode 94, Weekend Edition. My name is David Sville, and I have Travis Sowers on the line with me again this week, back from his Thanksgiving holiday. How was American Thanksgiving?
0: It was awesome, dude. Went down south and got to hang out with some family members and eat some good food. It was a good time
1: outstanding uh it was thursday up here yeah which meant that i that i went to work yeah um had a sandwich for lunch and then uh came home was
0: it at least a turkey sandwich in honor of your american friends no i hate turkey yeah nobody
1: likes turkey we just eat it on thanksgiving anyway i wonder why that's well, it, another another topic for another day but i legitimately wonder why turkey is a thing
0: it's a native to north america and not many other game birds are so it kind of makes sense you'd eat it why do you have to go and be logical for me? Yeah, we'll save that for another podcast.
1: <laughs> Canadian
0: Thanksgiving, we could call Canadian, it. Canadian Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so what do we got on the plate this week? It's kind of a... We're kind of not really nearing the end of the set, but we're definitely in the in the period of Guilds of Ravnica where a lot of us have kind of had our fill. Uh, Magic Arena has rotated formats, um, brought back Sealed, and now we're playing M19, so it's a little bit different. MTGO has got Cube going on and some other uh, kind of high-profile events. So um, what are you doing right now, given that you're probably not playing a lot of Guilds of Ravnica? You know, there's kind of a lot of different things I want to do.
0: I want to get another qualifier point to get into the mocks, which I think we're going to talk about some too. I want to play Modern Cube. I want to do some Sealed on Arena. I'm kind of interested in Standard again with that Gold Garbage deck. So I, I think when I fire up the stream on Monday, I may just play kind of everything you can do on Magic.
1: So that's interesting because you keep going through this cycle where where you will play arena for like ninety nine percent of your stream and then you'll shift back to MTGO for a while and then mm-hmm. back to arena and it sounds like you're a little bit back to MTGO. Why why is that right now?
0: Well, I, I I've enjoyed a lot of what arena has to offer and still do, but I, I feel like everything that's going on on arena is kind of pushing you towards playing standard. I really feel like it's probably the best place to play Standard right now. I really want to draft against people. And sometimes that'll get me frustrated, and I'll want to go draft on Magic Online. And sometimes I decide I don't care and just play on Arena anyway. I have a suspicion that like everything's pointing you to Standard now, because Standard is so well done there that they just want you to be able to play it and experience that. And then eventually there's going to be a wonderful patch one day where all drafters will rejoice... And we'll be drafting against people and there'll be really good prize support and we're going to be all very happy and, you know, we'll sing Kumbaya and, and draft till our heart's content. But I, I think that's part of the cycle is I'll, I'll get frustrated and want to go draft against people and be able to kind of show that skill during the draft portion. Not that it's bad on Arena, but after you do it, you know, five days a week for 50 hours, sometimes you want something a little different.
1: Definitely the draft portion feels a little stale after a lot of drafts yeah right like um yeah i mean as great as it is as it is to draft against bots and be able to do that disconnected draft the asynchronous draft um you know walk away come back to it or take 30 minutes to take your first pick um there's something to be said about how easy might not be the right word but how um reliable it is to draft against humans it, it just it just feels like and this this could just be me and 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 not problems that other people have but i am definitely struggling in guilds of Ravnica figuring out how the how the bots are drafting and when in it when I should be doing is figuring out how to draft my lane instead it feels like I'm spending all this energy trying to figure out well well how are the bots drafting and not really looking how to exploit it but looking to make sure that I have you know 25 26 quality playables so that I can and I can play my best 23 instead of sometimes struggling to make 23 because I, I didn't figure out what was open or because um, you know, what, what I think is a good card and what a lot of people think is a good card being past seventh or eighth pick is not actually a signal because the bots are undervaluing it, for example. So, mm-hmm. um, I find that I'm up and down there. I think sealed is, um, definitely a little more interesting on arena than it would be on magic online because you're not fighting for those cards. You just get to sit down and build your deck. It's, it's as close to like an FNM or a GP that you're going to get, uh, playing limited on arena. So I, th- I think that's pretty cool. Um, I mean, you still can't beat like free or like close to free, depending on, on, uh, on how you're playing and if you're spending your gold on that or not. So, um, but I, I definitely just find myself, you know, longing for the, the human pod drafting. Um, and, and I I do hope that's coming soon. You know, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Like, let's say that we're at a table of
0: eight drafters and Billy is there and he colossally undervalues certain red cards. Like, that's not going to mess up the whole table because, like, the person next to him may get something a little bit later than they should, but then they're going to notice there's no more red cards coming and they'll get off of it. But if I'm sitting at a table and there's seven billies and just me, and all seven of them colossally undervalue the same red card, I'm going to see it and think red's open, and I'm going to get five copies of it and be sure red's open, but red's not open. Just all the billies are undervaluing it. So that that's a, a really fair point. But, like... Again, you mentioned all the pros of asynchronous drafting and being able to sit down and stop, and it's great for new players. I just, sometimes I want to draft against people, and I've kind of got that itch to know that I beat people in the draft portion, and then I beat them in the gameplay, and Magic Online still gives you the the best version of that. So I'll be bouncing around some this week.
1: Yeah, so just uh, clip that, everyone. Travis likes beating people. Yeah, for sure. Season's beatings, man. (laughs) Season's beatings. I remember that episode. Mm Mm-hmm um but and you 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 know you can't beat the the speed of the gameplay in arena like i can do three drafts a night and maybe i can do one and a half to two on on mtgo so um and like i said you can't beat free if you're using your gold there so whatever we'll we'll get it figured out but definitely the problem is is it feels like all the bots draft the same way and and if they all make the same mistakes then it can be a little weird so but you know they're making strides they're they're it's definitely better than the alternative, I would say, most of the time. So whatever, mm-hmm. we'll suck it up. Um, I mean, one of the things you don't get on Arena, though, is you don't get um, the Mox, which is something you mentioned at the top and something you're interested in playing. So we talked about this before, but maybe just give us a quick rundown again of what the Mox is and uh, and why you're interested in playing in it.
0: Well, the uh, super short version here is the Magic Online Championship Series, uh, which is kind of like a pro tour for Magic Online uh, you're invited to a, a playoff event with I think it's 24 other players. Uh, also invited to the Pro Tour, so kind of, it's kind of a big deal to get like to win this and then be invited to that final tournament. the The main thing now, I, I think it would be a little late for somebody to get excited about the mocks if they're not already involved in it. the The main thing that got me interested is the the last date that you can use your qualifier points if you have earned them is Sunday, December second. If you have 35 qualifier points, you can enter into a Phantom Guilds of Ravnica sealed event. It doesn't cost you anything other than those qualifier points, and like you're going to need to basically win that. I think it's win or top two or something to get invited to the playoffs, but it's a free tournament that you can go play in. For me, I was kind of on the fence about whether I wanted to bother playing in it, and then I logged in and checked, and I have 34 qualifier points. So it's like, dude, just go win a draft sometime in the next week, and you get to play in this free event. Uh, so I, I I don't see any downside there. Uh, they are revamping the mocks for next year, and we'll probably do an episode or a portion of an episode to kind of dig in deep and cover that there. Uh, but for anybody here, if you have been playing on Magic Online, go check your qualifier points. If you're anywhere close to 35, you should probably just finish it out and play in the sealed event. Um, again, you need to place pretty highly in that and then win a playoffs to get to the finals. Like, this is not an easy event uh, to win, Uh, But it's one of the most competitive things you can do on Magic Online. And I I don't know, I I guess for me, you know, I used to be the competitive guy where my focus during the week was to get that uh, token to enter into the PTQs on the weekends. And I I love that level of competition. And I guess I'm I'm just hungering for that a little more. So a little excited about getting to play in something competitive.
1: Awesome. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I don't think I have enough for that I usually don't do enough drafts to get there um last maybe last I checked I had like 20 something mm-hmm. um but it's it's something that I'm always interested in I just gotta find the time to sit down it's tough for me to take like a Sunday and do that but who knows maybe maybe one year I'll be playing in the mocks when uh, you know my kid can take care of himself and <laughs> I don't have to worry about the family stuff some Sundays well I plan to stream that one on the second so if
0: nothing else come check in maybe you can uh, win vicariously through me.
1: That would be nice. I wish nothing but the best of success for you so that I can ride your coattails further. <laughs> nice. Do you need, like, a, a caddy for the Pro Tour? <laughs> Mr. Sowers? Yeah, you can carry my deck box. I can carry your deck box? Get you get you a drink of water? Yeah, in my man purse. Maybe read the playmat for you? It looks looks level. You should be good. I like it. Thank you, Dave. <laughs> um, but speaking of, like, top-level competition, though, We had some top-level competition last week on the Men From Moto Friday Night Magic, which we talked about last week's episode, but it was weird because last week's episode we recorded before the event was happening because we had to release it later the next week because of the spoilers. So we talked about it, and then it happened, and we didn't get a chance to go back and talk about it. But basically, um, you did a single elimination... Best of one constructed tournament on your stream mm-hmm. with, I want to say like 18 players, which is pretty sweet for a first go of it. Um, yep. How did that How did that work out? That was a lot of fun.
0: It was surprisingly easy to manage once you took over and said you were going to manage the tournament software. So thank you very much for that. It was fun to play in the events. Um, people seem to be digging it. There were a little bit of hurt feelings in that it was best of one and single elimination. So if you got a bad draw, you were kind of out. I, I don't think I would do best of one and single elimination again. I would either want best of three single elimination or best of one Swiss. I think might have been better. Uh, when we finally got to the last round of it, it was kind of cool. I was able to get one of the players to um, Skype in with me and share screens so that you and I could comment on it. And that was a lot of fun. I'd never done any casting before, but we could kind of talk about what they had in their hand and what they needed to play against. Uh, and then as soon as it was over, I had the winner come and join me on stream for a draft. And I think he had a blast. I had a blast having him on as a guest. And we drafted a, a much more controly deck than I normally would have gone for in Guilds of Ravnica and had a lot of fun playing with that. So I'd say the, the event was an overwhelming success. I could also see in Discord that they ran the one that evening. Um, and shout out to Zach, uh, Meta Nightmare, for running that. He organized it, ran it, and I think Kat won that one. Um, yeah, so
1: Kat Nabis, a fellow streamer, she streams around the same time you do in the morning. She won the mm-hmm. evening men for Moto. And who won the, the morning or the afternoon one again? Uh, RG Tron. Uh, his name's Renan. Right, yes. And he was playing uh, Jeskai Control, if I remember correctly. Jeskai Control versus Mono Blue. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that was fun. It was a lot of fun to to do the commentary on it. I think looking back at it, and I did go back and listen to it, it sounded like we were both, I don't know if we were both the play-by-play or we were both the color, but we were definitely the same role. Yeah. So I think uh, we'll have to learn one of us will have to take the play-by-play and the other one will have to take the color commentary. It is a difficult gig. And I, I have nothing but the utmost respect for people that do that full time because uh, it was challenging to do. I mean, obviously anything like that, anything in broadcasting can be challenging. Your first go at it, it, I didn't expect it to be easy, but like trying to keep up and talk about interesting things while also knowing about what's happening in the matchup and being able to speculate on strategy at the same time, it was it was quite challenging, but it was a lot of fun. And I hope we get to do that again sometime soon. Yeah, I'd say we should do another one of these and then try to basically set that up again.
0: Uh, maybe even have us commenting the matches instead of playing in the events might be fun too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Just comment the whole, whole tournament, just find a featured match every single round. I think it'd be super cool. So if, uh, anybody out there listening wants to get in on the next one, um, you can follow us on Twitter We're at men from moto. Um, or you can just come into one of our streams one day and just ask when the next one is and we'll get you information and get you into the discord. So I think it was a lot of fun. Um, And just kind of goes to show that, like, this the very simple feature of being able to play against your friends, kind of what the possibility is. I think a lot of the people in your chat just continued to play with each other after it was all done. So you kind of had this, like, literally, like a digital Friday Night Magic. And it really felt like, um, it felt like going to an LGS and just sitting down and playing against random people between rounds. It was really cool.
0: I I like that. I could see after the event was over, there were still people looking for matches in chat. And I was like, these are people that have been in my chat for years and now they're kind of hanging out and doing their own thing together. And I I thought that was really cool.
1: I mean, we talked about it before about how magic brings, like there's a, there's a community around magic and, and you kind of lose that playing on magic online sometimes, but, and and especially on arena, right. Where there's just no interaction at all and no way to play your friends until just last week. So it's just really cool that, you know, you can play with your friends, you can teach your buddies how to play. Um, run your own little events, and it's it's just like playing in paper, and it's kind of it's kind of amazing. It's bringing all these people together, and uh, it's only going to get better from here.
0: Yeah, I I can't wait until we can do forty card battles, so we can take our sealed decks and play against each other because that would be awesome.
1: Sealed decks, draft decks, doesn't matter. Like I think it would be. Um, I think the possibilities are, are kind of endless there to do multi format F and M's and things like that. So uh, yeah, and I, I look forward to it. It's uh, nothing but positive kind of things in the future here hopefully in the near future i mean looking at the calendar we're not too far away from the next set being released and um with that is probably going to be a large arena patch like there usually is when the set is released um so who knows what kind of features are coming up very quickly but i I hope it's hope it's exciting times yeah for sure um so back to mtgo so you've been playing on, on mtgo we kind of missed the boat on the Corset Cube, which I heard was a lot of fun. Um, we kind of had our, our Draft 102 and, and um, you know, our, our topic from last week with our spoilers. Um, but this week, and I'm not really sure how long it goes for, but this week is Modern Cube. And I know you're kind of interested in Modern Cube. I think you had a lot of fun with it the last time around. I know I'm watching a lot of streamers play, and it looks really fun and interesting to me. Now, you know me. I'm not much of a cube person. Um, and my reason for not enjoying cube as much, like, I enjoy cube. I don't enjoy playing cube competitively, I think because I just, I'm not really as, as good as I am at, let's say, other sets and things like that. So mm-hmm. um, if I'm playing for dollars, if I'm playing competitively, um, I'm definitely giving up an edge there. But in the modern cube, you know, I can open up a pack and I can look at all of the cards and I recognize all of the cards. So I think it, it just makes the modern cube a little more accessible for somebody like me that started, you know, when did I start Return to Ravnica era? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, and, and I think the same applies to not necessarily people that are playing Arena, but people that uh, maybe started playing before Arena came out. Um, I think Modern Cube is definitely the most accessible cube that we've had, maybe aside from the Corset Cube, um, but this is definitely the most accessible kind of returning cube that we've had in a really long time.
0: For sure. It, it runs through December 5th, actually, so you've got a couple weeks to play with this one, and I'd encourage folks to give it a shot if you've been playing or following Magic for probably a year or so, and, and maybe dipped your toe into the modern format, you'll be familiar with a lot of the cards that are here. There's some very powerful things that you can do in the cube, but I, it, it's not really running any of those exceptionally broken, you know, free mana rocks that you see in like a, a vintage cube uh, or a powered cube. So I, 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 I've quite enjoyed this one. One of the the highlight, the, my most popular highlight from the stream uh, was taking somebody's Kozilek and milling them out with it during a modern cube. So there's there's a lot of goofy and fun things you
1: can do while you're in here. So what's the big difference? What's the main difference between this cube, modern cube, and most other cubes?
0: I would say if you're used to the Magic Online cubes, the biggest difference is the power level of the cards. They're all squeezed into cards that are um, modern legal, essentially, Um, which means some of the big things like powered cubes would typically have cards like black Lotus, uh, all of the mocks and, and cards that just break the rules. And then you'd get into the, uh, legacy cube where it's a little more fair, but it's still way back in the day when the color pie was a little broken, a little unbalanced, things didn't quite work and you'd have huge power disparity between cards, with this, I, I feel like it fits into more where you're kind of drafting the archetypes for actual modern decks as you're playing through it. Um, it's a little bit more creature-focused. It's a little bit more Planeswalker-focused. Tomi, jokingly, frequent guest of the podcast, Tomi Tuovin and uh, Ice Rock, calls this the Planeswalker Cube. Because generally speaking, drafting Planeswalkers is a very good strategy while you're playing here. Uh, So it's more focused on, like, attacking and blocking. It actually feels more like a limited cube uh, than Legacy and Vintage Cubes do. Because, you know, in those it feels like you're really drafting a constructed deck, and that's all you're doing. And you can do something like Storm or Reanimator or these very pinpointed strategies. And you can still get some of that here. But for the most part, you're drafting creatures and planning to attack and block with them uh, to victory. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. It seems to be just kind of watching other people play and looking at the the cards that are in the cube. Um, you're, you're looking for whatever cards can gain you incremental advantage or repeated advantage, which is why the Planeswalkers are so good. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's not really any strategy that you can blow your opponent out of the water from nowhere. So like it looks like you know in in a set where you know a lot of the cards are very similar in power level. And there's nothing that's inherently broken, that anything that allows you to gain repeated value gets you a leg up on your opponent where they're only getting one card worth of value out of their cards. If you can get two cards worth of value out of a lot of your cards, it seems like you're getting further and further ahead. Is, it, is that right? Am I on the right path with that? Absolutely. You're generally looking to build value
0: or build value by having your opponent dead uh, because mono red and mono white are certainly decks here. I think mono black may even be viable too, although probably not as good, but you can for sure build a mono red. People will call it a burn deck, although it's really not. Um, It's a creature aggro deck that also has a lot of reach because the old timey removal spells were relatively cheap and dealt direct damage to creatures. So they could just go face later, but you're, you're looking to maximize one, two, and
1: three drops in that deck generally. Okay. Um, commonly when we talk about cube you talk about the fixing and the lands that are available um is that something that is more like the same level important of importance in this cube or is it of less importance do you think i
0: think it's it's probably
1: about the same
0: level of importance and there's a lot of packs where i'll pick a land uh it's important to remember as you're going through these that every single card in every single pack is good Whenever you're drafting a cube, there's not any duds. There's not any medium cards. There's usually not any bad ones. They're all good. So if Dave drafts the cube and drafts 23 cards and 6 lands, and I draft the cube and just draft 23 cards, he's playing 6 more of his picks than I am. And those lands are going to allow him to do more things, like play a 3-color deck or have a splash, um, or just have more consistency in his mana. I- I've always thought if you draft a cube... And you don't have at least you know four non basics, you've done something catastrophically wrong. Okay. There's a lot of pa- a lot of packs that I'll first pick a land out of. Right.
1: Okay. And there's things like there's the creature lands, there's uh, fetch lands. I assume that there's shock lands as well. Mm-hmm. I didn't look too far down the list. Yeah. Um, or at least something you can fetch with the fetch lands that are dual colored. So all of those similar strategies that we have in Legacy and Powered Cube. Um, where your fetch lands can get a bunch of different colors depending on how you draft them, that appears to be to be valid strategies here still as well. Sure. Okay. Um, so, because like because it's a more creature and, and planeswalker focused cube, like you said, or it's at least it's a low powered cube. Um, how does that change how you draft? Like, uh, you know, like when you're looking at a powered cube, usually you're trying to settle into a powerful archetype or trying to get the busted cards early and then build your decks around those. How does that change here? You mentioned it's more like a limited cube than a constructed cube would be. Um, How how does that change your approach to this?
0: I actually feel like it's a little more freeing and you can kind of be an artist and draft the deck that you want. If I open a pack with a Black Lotus in it, it doesn't really matter what else is in the pack. I have to take the Black Lotus. The same is true for the Mox, uh, Ancestral Recall. a, A lot of very powerful cards like... If I open a Tinker in a Powered Cube, I'm probably just going to take the Tinker and I'm the Tinker deck now. Like, I'll, I'll find some trash artifacts and a Blightsteel Colossus somewhere and make that deck work. Whereas here, it's kind of like everything's sort of even, so you can kind of, like, take your preference. Do you want to be an aggressive creature deck? Do you want to build a control deck? I often say that you can't play control decks in Limited, that those don't usually exist. They certainly do in Cube. You can build a blue-white control deck in this modern cube. So I feel like it's, it's an okay place to come in and not necessarily force a deck, but feel like you have a, a lot more opportunity to, to sort of create the experience you want rather than be locked into what you open. Um, now, I mentioned that much like in all cubes, don't feel like you have to take that amazing 6 or 7 drop that you open uh, because the cube is just full of amazing 6 and 7 drops. I, I think as a strategy... I typically like to try to draft the lower cost stuff first when I find a good one. Um, I, I think this cube actually has a lot of like almost filler level 2-drops, but you still kind of have to have them because there are some aggressive decks there. So I, I, if you see a good 2-drop, I would probably try to grab that one relatively early and then just play whatever amazing 6-drop wheels because there's plenty of 6-drops in here and they're all really good.
1: Right, there's plenty of game finishers right there's plenty of win cons um kind of across the spectrum here of mana cost okay. yeah so talk to me then about your first few picks like you open up a pack and if all the cards are really close together you know what 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 draws your attention first um you need obviously like you look at a set or at least from my perspective when I look at a set like m19 or guilds of ravnica or right like you know removal is usually the things that I look at first especially on Arena. But how does that change in the cube? It seems like removal, like spot removal one for one, is going to be less valuable here. Am I correct in understanding that? It, it's not necessarily that it's less valuable. It's that it's not quite a first pick, right? Mm.
0: So in a, a guild's draft, I might get into black because I got some black removal spells, right? But what I'm looking for usually first in, in these cube packs is a Planeswalker that, that has some sort of repeatable effect that will get me advantage or any sort of value card, uh, if that's not there, I'll probably look for a land. Uh, fetch lands are better because it, you can get into a situation where, like, you know, say you have a blue black fetch land, but you end up playing, you know, green white. With the right number of shocks, that fetch land can still be a duel for you. Right, So paying attention to what you can get with your fetch lands and what shocks you have means that, generally speaking, uh, fetch lands can be very, very valuable. And shocks for the same reason, because they're fetchable. All of the creature lands are in this cube, and all of those are very good. Like, just cast your spells and then attack with it when you run out of stuff to do. So I usually look for Planeswalkers first, then just absurd value cards. Like, I'm a sucker for Oracle of Moldiah, for example. Um, and then if something like that's not there, then I'll start looking at the lands, starting with fetches, shocks, and then man lands. hmm Okay. Um. And it's okay to put preference in there, right? Like, if you open a pack and it's got, uh, you know, an excellent white one drop, and you're like, you know what, I just want to do white weenie. It's a student of warfare, and this is what I want to do. Go for it,
1: man. Have a blast. Mm-hmm. I had another follow-up question. Oh, how many colors are you generally playing, do you think, in this cube? I am generally
0: playing three-ish, um, although like it's not uncommon for me to do a mono deck, and I've done five-color monstrosities. The, the fact that I pick lands so highly can sometimes end up with my first pack is mostly lands and a few good cards, and if I end up in that spot, I'll just take the best card out of every pack and, and just play it kind of like an old cons draft. Uh, so I, it, I'd say I end up, you know, between one and three colors most of the time and then five-color monstrosity something like 5% of the time. There's people that'll force five-color monstrosity and have fun with it. And you're, Again, you're certainly welcome to do that. You just need to take the
1: lands from the first pack. Okay. A um, couple more questions for you. One, any standout cards you can think of, and it's it's okay if you say no, that you don't have anything off the top of your head, but any cards that are like this is this is your pet card in this cube? Like, have you played it enough to have a couple of pet cards that you see and you'd like, I have to take it because this is awesome?
0: Uh, Zealous Conscripts mm-hmm. is certainly my pet card. Um, this is a 5-mana a 3-3 three, three with haste. When it comes into the battlefield, you gain control of target permanent until end of turn. Untap it, it gains haste. There's a lot of stuff you can combo with this, but because Planeswalkers are so good, just taking your opponent's Planeswalker that's about to ultimate and then ultimating yourself is kind of ridiculous. It's also a three-power attacker that they don't see coming, plus their best attacker or getting a blocker out of the way. It just it does so much. So that's a card that usually, as soon as I see it, I'm probably just going to take it and we're going to do some fun stuff with it.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, like Splinter Twin is a combo, or at least, uh, Kiki Jiki is a combo in this cube. And I, we talked about, I think it was draft 101, maybe it was 102, um, about like not drafting combo because mm-hmm. it's so hard to come together. Like obviously cube is, is the perfect place to draft combo because the the cards are there for you to take them for that reason, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, there's the Sahili Felidar Guardian combo in this cube, I believe, and there's Splinter Twin combo in this cube. So, um, you know, that's definitely something you can do and have some fun with here. Um are there any archetypes speaking of of archetypes obviously splinter twin I guess you can count that as an archetype but um are there any archetypes you stay away from I know generally you're not a fan of reanimator it does that apply here as well
0: Yeah it, whenever there's a reanimator deck in cube I try to stay away from it just cuz it's a combo deck that needs three pieces right a way to get it in the graveyard the card you want in the graveyard and the thing to reanimate it. Now that can be mitigated by things like Entomb, but that, that's not really in this cube and not really what you're looking to do here. I, I don't think there's anything that's actively bad in this cube. Um, there are a few mana rocks as I'm looking through here. We've got Signets, and a, a big deal is understanding that Signets are exceptionally powerful and are probably a, a first picker if you... uh if you don't have like i I'd, I'd pick it over a lot of the lands too like honestly I'd probably first pick Signets out of just anything I open the the last edition I believe just had the enemy colored Signets but like it it honestly doesn't matter just grab them and play them you're you're going to be happy with these it's it, it's like
1: cheating okay yeah they're I guess they're your equivalent of fast mana in this cube mm-hmm. since we don't have mocks um Okay, oh, yeah, that was a that was a nice rundown. Now that we have like I have the crash course underneath me here, do you want to do a pick one pack one? Heck yeah! Okay, I sniped this one off of someone's stream, so I didn't actually do this one myself. Um, but I think it's it's still a good pack to look at here. And uh, do you want to take us through the pack and, and let us know your thoughts?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So right, let's, go. let's walk through them. We've got Liliana, Heretical Healer. Uh, this is one black, black for a two three life link. Uh, when another non-token creature dies, you transform it. You make a 2-2 zombie, and it turns into a Liliana Planeswalker that you can plus to discard cards. You can reanimate stuff from your yard, and I believe her ultimate is to reanimate everything. This was a pretty good card. It's not super difficult to flip over, uh, but it is susceptible to removal, and like you do have to have something else die in order to transform it. That said, three mana, two three life link isn't awful, but I was like, I'm, I'm not really looking at this here. This is more like I have a mono black deck, so I'll put this in it rather than a, I'm going to get this and go mono black. Uh, we've got Sahili Rai, who we've talked about a couple times, which is one blue red for a three loyalty planeswalker. You can plus one her to scry one and deal one damage to your opponent, minus two her to make a copy of an artifact or creature. It gets haste. It gets you lose it at the the end of turn. Uh, Sahili's kind of here to combo with enter the battlefield effects and then generate some value for you as she's scrying. The blue red is a little bit of, of a, like, off put for me, just because that's going to be difficult to, to cast. And she's not able to actually generally kill things when she comes in play or draw cards. So, like, a lot of planeswalkers will draw a card or remove a creature and stick around. And she doesn't do that, uh, unless you've got a Necrotal in play, for example. So, if you're drafting Sahila, you kind of look at what else you can combo with her. Yep. We've got Vivian Reed, who is a Planeswalker I've absolutely fallen in love with playing that Golgari deck. Uh, three green green for a six loyalty Planeswalker. Um, plus one, functionally draw a card. I think it's look at the top four. Uh, you can put put one in your hand.
1: Creature land, I think, yeah. Yeah,
0: creature land. Minus three, destroy target creature with flying, and she's got an ultimate that pumps your whole team permanently. Um, there's a lot of stuff with flying in this cube, much like there's a lot of stuff with flying in Standard. Uh, so just slamming that down and killing a creature feels great, knowing that if you untap and they don't kill it, you just draw more cards. Um, so Vivian's my lead out of those three Planeswalkers. Uh, Arid Mesa is a Fetch for white and red. I've mentioned fetch lands are super great, so, like, this is something that I'm absolutely considering here. Uh, Goblin Guide is red for a 2-2 Haste, when it attacks, Defending Player reveals the top card of their library. If it's a land, they put it into their hand. Uh, this is the defining card for mono-red aggro in this cube. And honestly, any cube that, that has mono-red aggro as, as an archetype, this is the one that you want. So that's certainly a consideration if you want to go aggro. Uh, Hero's Downfall, one black-black for an instant destroy target creature or Planeswalker. It's actually a very handy removal spell, and like I mentioned, I'm not going to go nuts over removal. Heroes' Downfall and Dreadbore are actually two that I'll I'll bump up just a little bit more because they can kill Planeswalkers. Uh, we've got Lumbering Falls, which is a blue-green manland. Uh, we've got Raging Ravine, which is a green-red manland. We've got Pull From Tomorrow. Uh, X blue-blue, draw X cards, then discard a card. I don't think you have to go so nuts over card draw that you're first picking it, and this probably isn't the best one that's in the cube. It's still pretty darn good. Uh, So if you were looking to go into a control deck, I don't think it would be unreasonable to take that here, although usually I'd be looking for, like, Wraths or Fetchlands for that style deck to begin with. Uh, We've got Snapcaster, always a good one. Uh, One in the blue for a 2-1 Flash, Enters the battlefield target instant or sorcery and your graveyard gets flashback equal to its mana cost till end of turn. Uh, Sylvan Karyatid. One and a green for an O3 Defender Hexproof tap. Add any color of mana to your mana pool. Um, like, green ramp is certainly a thing here. Like, Crater Hoof Behemoth is a strategy. The Karyatid obviously isn't going to attack with your, your Crater Hoof, but there's lots of things that you can ramp to. Uh, so, mono green's a thing. I think I'd still take Vivian if I was looking for that. Uh, because the, the the mana creatures are somewhat replaceable. There's a bunch of them in the cube, whereas there's only one copy of Vivian. I've got Venerated Loxodon, which is kind of neat to see stuff from the new set in the pack. Uh, that's the Convocafant. 4-4 uh, for four, four, 5, you Convoke it, and each creature that gets that is used to Convoke gets a plus-1, one, plus-1 one counter. We've got Field of Ruin, uh, which is the Destroy Target, Non-Basic Lands, Land, and Taps for Colorless. I I don't think I would actually play this main deck, although I might have it in my sideboard against Manlands if they were really destroying me. Something like a Lumbering Falls or a Creeping Tar Pit that I just needed dead. Uh, We've got Unburial Rites, which is four and a black, return target creature from your graveyard to the battlefield, and flashback of three and a white. I don't really consider this uh, like a card that you'd put in a Reanimator deck, because like classic Reanimator, you're looking to do it really quick. Right? Like I want to turn two Gristlebrand, for example. Whereas on burial rites is just value. If you happen to be playing those colors, you can get a creature back now and get one back later. And lastly, there's a Shiv and Fire, um, which we're used to from Dominaria, uh, one mana for two damage or five mana for four, instant speed at creatures. So I think reasonable cards from here would be Vivian, Arid Mesa, Goblin Guide, um, those are probably the three that I'm eyeing. Any That's of these fair. stand out to you? What would you be thinking about?
1: I'm looking at the carry added for sure. Um, is definitely in my top couple. Um, maybe even Snapcaster Mage, because um, I think like you can get a lot of value off of that. I think I don't know what like, you know, what what kind of spells you're going to be doing. I guess it, it's it's in your control for your counter spells, or if you have lightning bolts and things like that. Obviously, the value goes up. Um, I don't know how well Snapcaster Mage plays in cube compared to in modern, let's say, right? Like in modern, you have more of them and you have more targets in your graveyard to hit. Whereas in cube, I guess you're a little thin on Snapcaster Mages, obviously, and a little thin on, on spells you can cast with it sometimes. So that probably goes off the table for me there. But, um, I I like, I like carry added a lot. I like the mono green you know, or maybe like a green red ramp strategy when I play my cube um, or green anything ramp strategy if I have something big to go to. Um, But I can respect taking the Vivian Reed again because it's replaceable. It destroys artifacts, enchantments, creatures with flying. You know, you're guaranteed to get value off of it when it comes down usually. So um, I probably get behind the Vivian Reed because of that.
0: Yeah, I I think I would too. Like as as I'm looking at, at the green creature list, there's what? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. There's eight one-drops that produce mana from Arbor Elf to Noble High Arch and everything in between. And then a lot of two drops that do it too, from like a boom tender and devoted druid. Like Lotus Cobra is functionally that too. Nest Invader is sort of that too. So like you can kind of get that effect of the the Sylvan carriated later. For me, I'm probably just gonna take Vivian. But I think I could respect uh, Arid Mesa and Goblin Guide too. I don't think I'd take the carry added. Um, and maybe, you know, if you are, are just dying to do fun combo things, Sahili isn't crazy. And Hero's Downfall is also a, a solid pick. But I think I'd rather try to get the Planeswalkers because they're just so good in this cube that I think I'd start with Vivian and see where we go. Because she'd go in mono green or, I mean, anything you pair green with, you're going to be happy to draw creatures and lands off of her.
1: I feel like with the combo cards, like where you're looking for a two-card combo, um, it's a little risky. And maybe I'm. you can correct me if I'm wrong on that one, but I don't know if there's anything else that Sahili can combo with to infinitely win the game, aside from Felidar Guardian right now, right, in this cube?
0: I, I don't think Felidar Guardian's actually in
1: it. Um, really?
0: Although Zealous Conscripts, I think, is.
1: Oh, I just made—so I, I just assumed that it was in the cube because Saheeli was here. Um... Okay, so, but when you're looking at combo pieces, it's kind of a risk, right? Because you might take, like, a Splinter Twin and then never see your, you know, whatever else you need to go with it, right? You might never see a Zealous Constrips or something like that.
0: It is and it isn't, because one thing you're worried about when you're drafting is, I've got to make sure I get to enough playables, because each pack in Guilds of Ravnica, for example, has something like seven playable cards, and then seven cards that, I mean, you can play, but you really don't want to. And Cube just doesn't have that. Every single card in the cube is a good card. And then a lot of the combo pieces, you'll find that there's other combos that you didn't think about. Like, I've had decks where I had Kiki-Jiki, wasn't able to get the combo pieces to go with it, but have you ever Kiki-Jiki to Siege Gang Commander? It's pretty satisfying. So, like, there's there's a lot of cool stuff you can do with your creatures that you, you may not initially notice, and then you're like... Hey, I got I, I, it wasn't this this one obviously, but I've gotten Avalanche Riders and Kiki Jiki before. That's a lot of fun. Just blow up your opponent's land every turn. They they scoop pretty quick. Um, Kiki Jikiing Titan. So like in, in any of these cards that you think are combo cards, there's probably more for them to combo with than you recognize. And again, it you could almost pick cards at random for the first three picks, burn them, and then still draft a good deck because everything in the cube is a good card. There's just there's just no bad cards here.
1: It's funny in a, in a cube where everything is good. There still has to be a worst cube or worst card in the cube. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, I think you could look at this and say that. No, I I I can't find just a, a card. What's the worst card in this pack? Field of Ruin. Field of Ruin.
1: Like probably probably Sahili. To be honest, in a vacuum, because she doesn't do anything unless you have another piece to go with her.
0: Yeah, but you don't really need anything to go with her. Like, you'd mentioned how much fun Snapcaster Mage can be. Like, there's a combo. Just cast everything in your graveyard every turn. For starters.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, you can do it once with her, right? But it's probably Sahili or Field of Ruin. You know, Shivenfire seems like a pretty uninspiring removal spell compared it's, to what I think you can get in things like Hi- Hero's Downfall. So,
0: it's good enough. It does what Red wants to do, but like sure. I, I mean, I think the point stands. Even if those are the three worst cards in the pack, they're all fine.
1: Exactly, right? So it's it's pretty tough to uh like, you know, there's an there's an objectively best pick to a lot of people, mm-hmm. and then the next best pick is not that much different. Like again, we're talking like the difference between an 8 and a 7.9 yeah. on a scale.
0: And I I, I do think it's worth mentioning, like, if, if you pick wrong in your first three packs of a regular limited format you're way behind in trying to play catch-up. Like, you don't want to abandon those first picks if you can. So, like, we'll lead towards picking mono-colored cards or picking artifacts if we can, just to make sure that we're able to play them. And it's just not as big a deal here. If you want to try going for mono-red, and then you notice that it's dried up, you can easily switch into another archetype entirely, five picks in, and still be fine. Because there's... Mm. Like, you're going to wheel something good out of this pack, regardless of what you take. Absolutely.
1: So you're going to be doing some of this next week? Yeah,
0: I'll absolutely be doing some of this. I I like cube. I like the modern cube. Much like you said, I don't want to grind cube all day. Um, Cube has given me an appreciation for vanilla creatures. I didn't really understand why there were two threes with no text and a creature type in sets. But like when every single creature that you have and your opponent has have text and do something and there's something to remember it can lead to very complex board states which is a fun experience at you know a certain part of the day but after you've been playing for six hours and you're tired and you're kind of goofing off with chat it can be a lot more difficult to to kind of grok everything that these cards are doing together so cube is kind of a nice way to wake up in the morning um but I, i think we'll be doing sealed on arena towards the end of the day
1: seems fair Okay, well, that's a nice little rundown. Hopefully that helps out some people. And people that haven't had a chance to play on Magic Online, if you've been thinking about it, Modern Cube might be a way to go and spend some tickets if you're interested because it's phantom, it's reasonably priced, uh, and it can be a lot of fun. Yeah, and if you haven't done a cube before and you've been
0: intimidated by them, this is a good one to jump into. Because again, if you've been playing Magic for a couple years, and especially if you follow Modern, you'll recognize a lot of these cards. You'll open a pack and look at the cards, and instead of being like, what do all of these do? You'll be like, I know half of these. And the other ones you can read really quickly and be like, oh, that's like this card.
1: Exactly. Okay. Moving on, we're going to sw- switch gears here to talk about some Arena. So you mentioned Sealed is back in Arena, and that's something you're going to be doing next week. Yeah. Um, it's It's M19 for the next week, at least. I didn't look at the calendar to see how long it's on for. And we also have Quick Draft in M19. So do you have fond memories of M19 Sealed? I didn't play a whole
0: lot of it. Um, I kind of got into Draft because I was mostly streaming Arena when this came out. But the Sealed events that I did, I enjoyed. I did some basically like a pre-release that first week. And I, I mean, honestly, I like Sealed in any format. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to going and trying it, especially with like some improvements they've made to the arena interface. I don't think we've actually mentioned that, but like a big gripe of mine was that it didn't give me a card count in the build page, and it does now. So like a lot of the things that that kind of frustrated me about that interface, they're obviously addressing them and making them better.
1: Yeah, it was a nice little some nice little quality of life improvements there to the to the deck builder. I mean, still looking forward to kind of a revamp of, of that, especially with sealed, but I mean, yeah. baby steps for now, right. We can, mm-hmm. it's, it's definitely playable and it's, it's a little bit better than it was before. So, um, so I mean, we can, we can spend time in talking specifically about M19, but I think given that it's probably going to go away fairly quickly, it's not going to be around. I think they mentioned uh dominaria sealed, maybe was the next one coming out, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, it, This is will let people kind of build their collections because We haven't really had the opportunity to play, a lot of m19 or or Dominaria, even rivals of ixland for that matter um but maybe because sealed is going to be making a comeback here in arena uh for more of a long-term thing maybe we can talk about some generic generic sealed tips just to give people an idea of how to approach sealed especially if maybe they're coming from constructed or if they're coming from draft and given that you used to play sealed like you know 99 of the time on your stream sometimes yeah um i thought maybe you'd be the best person to talk about that so very much like you gave us a rundown on the cube. um you know how does somebody new to sealed or somebody new to magic approach sealed from your perspective? How should they do that?
0: well i I think a lot of people say that sealed is more powerful and slower and leave it at that uh, and and while that's true, I think it's worth understanding why and delving into that a little bit and then you can get some ideas about how to build a deck. So generally speaking, David, what are the most powerful cards in your deck?
1: Um, it, your your best creatures, I guess? Your best repeatable effects, probably.
0: Sure, and what rarity do they often show up at? Um, Your most powerful ones are usually rare or better. Yeah, so like, generally speaking, the, the best cards in your deck, your bombs, are your rares. Now, if we're drafting, I'm going to open three rares, and I may not be able to play all of them, Now, sometimes I get past one, but generally speaking, I'm going to look at three rares at the very least. In Sealed, you're opening six packs. You're going to see double the rares. Now, not all of them are guaranteed to be good, and you may not be able to play all of them, but you've got access to more stuff, right? Generally speaking, the the best removal spells that we have in the game currently are often printed at Uncommon. You can look at things like there's usually an uncommon removal spell for 2 or 3 mana that's very good, and then there's a common version for 5 mana, right, or or some increased cost. So, like, people are going to have access to more removal and more bombs. They may not be able to play all of it, but they're probably going to try. There's also significantly less synergy in Sealed and kind of not the ability to to make a curve, right? Right. Like when you're drafting, you usually we talked about this in Draft One Hundred and One that you usually want to have somewhere around four two drops and somewhere around five three drops, and then it, it kind of starts shrinking again, like maybe four four, four drops, and, and you kind of go down that curve. Well, if if I've opened up a really good pool of black red that just doesn't have any two drops but has some awesome removal that can kind of work as a two drop for me, think of cards like Dead Weight for example or Shock uh, that kill something small then I may just play a deck that doesn't have any 2-drops and be okay with that and understand that I I need to evaluate an opening hand. Can I handle 2-drops from the opponent? If I've got a 3-mana three 3-3, three, three, yeah, we're good to go. They're, they're not getting past that. Uh, if I don't, maybe I'm a little more concerned about it. Um, people are also more likely to splash and play multiple colors in Sealed. Now, this will come up more often in some formats than others, but M19 had a lot of tap duels, so it's it's relatively easy to get a a you know bomb creature or a solid removal spell from another color or even one of the gold cards. There were a lot of good ones in, in M19 into your pool and be able to play with those. I, I think it's probably worth talking a little bit at length about splashing and how to do that before we wrap up here. But that, like take that as your basic understanding of sealed. It's going to be more powerful because people have access to more bombs and more removal. Every opponent that you play probably has a bomb somewhere in their deck. So if you've only got like one or two really good removal spells and you don't have to use it, I would typically hold on to those. Like if if the situation is either the board is stalled or I'm a little bit ahead, I'm not killing anything. Like my removal spells are for, oh my god, I'm going to die, or they just played their bomb.
1: Okay, so... What are some of the traps that players would fall into maybe when looking at their sealed pool? Um, One of the things I can think of, for example, is you see a flashy rare, but you have no support for it and you have no way to splash it, right? Like maybe you have a, a six drop with a double casting cost in blue and the rest of your blue cards are like, you know, two drops that don't do anything and five drops that have one power or something like that, right? Like things that just don't do anything, um, there are no reason to play blue. I, sometimes I see people, especially things like a pre-release or something like that, like they're really trying to make sure they play that unbeatable bomb without the support behind it. Is there anything else that you can that you see newer players kind of run into uh, in, in sealed that they get trapped by?
0: Well, a, a couple. Uh, you actually reminded me of when I went to the Battle for Zendikar pre-release with my wife. Uh, she had a really good green-black deck, and I saw her just crushing people and crushing people. And eventually we got together when the, the the breaks lined up, and she was like, do you think I built this right? And I looked at her sideboard, and the first card on top of her sideboard was Chandra. The six mana Chandra in that format was absolutely unbeatable. And I was like, I'm thinking, why in the world is she not playing this? And then I looked, and she had absolutely no other playable red cards. And I was so impressed. I was like, so many people would have opened that and been like, Oh, but Chandra this card's absurd. And she like she saw what I was doing and obviously knew what I was thinking. It was like, yeah, I wish it had more red cards. I'd love to have played that. Like there's a big one. A- another trap I've seen a lot of people fall into is um splashing incorrectly, which hopefully we're going to fix here in a minute. But I I've, I've literally seen people who are splashing a fireball type effect and putting one mountain in the deck or two mountains in the deck, and that that's just not quite right on the splash. I've also seen people ignore curve entirely. Like you'll hear me often say when I'm playing sealed, that curve doesn't matter. And Michael Jacob, who plays a lot of sealed on his stream and is an excellent sealed player, will often say curve doesn't matter in sealed. And, like that's that's a bit of an oversimplification to say the curve doesn't matter it's that that putting together a deck that's based on a curve is less likely to be good in sealed than it is in limited however curve still matters a little bit you can't just like i've seen people play decks with you know no twos or threes they're just like ah they're sealed slow i'll be fine i'll just play you know four drops and five drops and that like that's not going to work cuz you you're starting the game at six life and your opponent has a swarm before you can actually do anything. So I've seen that trap get there and then also just deciding that I'm going to play a three-color deck. There are certainly formats where you can do that, and there're certainly pools that are so bad that maybe you have to. But generally speaking, I'm not looking to play a, a the devil's mana base 666. I I don't want to do that, um especially with double casting cost cards. Um, you know, we've, we've talked about mana base. I've seen a lot of new players just not play enough lands or put in filler cards when they just don't need to be playing them. But like once your card evaluation is down and you know what cards are good in draft and why, you should probably be okay. But watch how you're splashing and like really decide what your primary colors are going to be. For me, those colors are dictated and sealed by what are the cards I can play that my opponent's going to have a really hard time dealing with And then what are the removal spells that I can bring to bear against their bombs? So ideally, you have something like really good green creatures and really good blue removal spells. Like, okay, I'm going to play blue-green. Like, those are the wonderful pulls when they come together. It's the question of when you have a mix. Like, well, I've got good blue removal spells, but my red and green creatures look about even. Now I want to look and see how do they pair together. Do I, have, like, do I have a gold card for red-blue that I would get to play if I chose that as my color? Do I have a dual land for blue-green, so my mana is going to be a little better? Maybe I have a black-green dual land, and I could splash this other removal spell from black and up my removal count even more. So like those are things I'm starting to look at there. Mm-hmm.
1: What about synergies? Now, we think back to M19, and M19 had you know, 10 really clearly defined archetypes, one for each of the color pairs, like black-white, for example, was life gain. Um, obviously, sealed can't be as synergistic as draft, but do those synergies pull you in one direction or another? You know, I'm thinking black-white specifically, right, is probably, if you have the right cards, that might pull you toward black-white, you know, even if maybe your white is not as powerful as, say, your red or something like that. But would something like having, you know, some really synergistic life gain cards pull you more in that direction? Are you still looking for a more consistent deck if just say your black red just had, you know, better cards overall? You know, I think Ixalan was probably a good format to really dive deep on that in.
0: And we talked some about it on this podcast, but that was a very synergistic format where you really had to be into the tribes and kind of pair them together for them to do their thing. And what I found was that you didn't often open those sealed pools with that synergy. And one of the reasons that happens, like we can use M19 as the example or whatever set it is, you wanted to draft the life gain payoff cards and then the cards that gained you the life. And when you're drafting, you get Selection. When you're playing Sealed, you get Quantity. Right, So if, if I don't have a life gain payoff card in my sealed pool, then the life gain cards just kind of don't matter to me, unless they're good on their own. And some of them were, and you should play them. right? But what I found as I was playing through Ixalan is that it was worth taking a moment to look and see if there was a synergy deck there that was just very good. And generally, I'll advise people not to play aggro and sealed, but it's worth looking and seeing if you've got a really good aggressive deck. And a sealed aggressive deck looks something like six to eight two drops, a bunch of solid combat tricks. Like, there were times where that was the the only deck that I had because I had a bad pool, and there were other times that I just had a really good aggro deck, and I was like, I should probably play this. But most of the time, you want to skew towards card advantage and away from synergy. But like I mentioned, and and Dave's bringing this up, if you've got a very good life gain, maybe two very good life gain payoffs, yeah, I'm going to look and see if I've got the triggers for it. And that would happen in Ixalan sometimes, too. I was still doing a lot of the PTQs in those days, so like, I, I think I found that something like, God, I documented at the time, it was something like 15% of the pools actually had a Synergy deck in them and you could build your pirate deck and then the rest of them was kind of like, okay, how good is my Dinosaurs deck or what am I going to pair with green for removal uh, was, was really where you started looking there. Um, some cards that aren't usually great in draft can get a little better in Sealed. The the first one, can can you think of any that spring to mind immediately for you? I think the example we always
1: use is Mind Rot gets better yeah. in Sealed than it does not in- So maybe explain exactly why that is.
0: Well, it, we've mentioned that the decks are a little bit slower and that the the cards are a little bit more powerful. So Mind Rot is two and a black, Sorcery, Target Player discards two cards. In Draft, you're usually concerned about somebody being too aggressive and running you over so you don't have time to cast a card like that. Whereas obviously, if we could start the game... And, you know, me and Dave are playing. I'm just like, hey, Dave, discard a card. That'd be great. That's basically what Mind Rot does as long as you have the time to cast it. And because the format's a little slower, you're probably going to have time to cast it. So I've, I've gone from, like, actively not wanting to play Mind Rot in draft, although I have sometimes, to usually trying to make, like, actively making room for one in sealed. Uh, cancel is the other example that I use a lot and that people who listen to the podcast a lot know that I generally dislike counterspells in draft. I, I I feel like draft is a little bit too fast for me to be wanting a three mana counterspell, whereas in sealed, it, it's usually not that fast. I have a few things I can do at instant speed, maybe a mana sink, and I can probably find something to hit with a cancel. Just again, because it's a, a little bit slower and a little bit more powerful. If I'm patient with my cancel and I can hit one of the you know, one of Dave's four rares that he's playing, I'm, I've got a really good deal for that cancel. So those are two that I think, generally speaking, get a lot better. And things that I think get a lot worse are 2 and 3 drops that don't do anything beyond turn 2 and 3. So if I've got the opportunity to play, you know, up to 5-2 drops, but three of them have some effect in the late game, we can think of cards like Passwall Adept uh, from Guilds of Ravnica. That would be an excellent two drop for sealed because it'll do what it's supposed to do on turn two and then still do something later. Whereas just a straight Grizzly Bear, you know, or Cabal Initiate or whatever it is, just a two two for two, that's really not doing much in sealed beyond the first few turns of the game. Right.
1: And the whole reason there is because you're not winning as much off the curve out in sealed as you are compared to draft. Correct. Okay. Yeah, I I think that's that's a really great rundown. I mean, generic sealed tips. You know, we could probably replace M19 with any format in there, and would probably a lot of that would still ring true. Um, I mean, different sealed formats are going to be slightly different here and there, but that's generally been consistent for as long as I've been playing sealed anyway. So, um, you wanted to quickly touch on on splashing, and I know we keep talking about it, and we want to do this. Maybe we'll just like splice together a bunch of pieces of the past (laughs) podcast together, and do like a highlight show for splashing. Um, but like, how, how are you splashing and sealed? Like, what are you looking at? How many sources do you need? What cards are you looking to splash for? What are you excited? Um, and what are you avoiding in your splashes?
0: All right. So I'm, I'm going to do just a really basic one here. Not everything is covered if the, you know, and, and use it at your own risk, but here's some very basic guidelines for this. For me to want to splash a card, it needs to have a single colored mana in its casting cost of the splashed color. So if I'm splashing a red card, that means there's only one red mana symbol in it. It can be green-red if I'm already playing green, or black-red if I'm already playing black, but it can't be red-red because you're not splashing if you're playing a red-red card. If you're splashing, you're probably only playing one or maybe two cards of that color. If you're playing four cards of that color, you're not splashing, you're playing a three-color deck, and I'm going to try to avoid that in Sealed if I can. And then generally speaking for sources... I want about three sources for one splash. That usually means that I'll have found the color by the time I need to cast the card. So things like evolving wilds, as long as you have the basic count as two, right? because you've got that and the basic. So that that kind of helps you out with those those commitments there. Um, if I'm playing four card, uh, excuse me two cards of a splash, I'd like to get in three and a half to four. What's a half, Travis? Well, sometimes card draw is sort of like fixing because you're going to see more of your deck. So if I'm playing a blue deck that has two divinations and three mana sources, I might be okay playing two green splash cards in there. So those are just very basic ones, but generally speaking, try to get that in there, and I'll usually look for fixing. Since we're talking about M19, you should have a couple of the tapped duels. If I'm playing green-blue and I've got a couple of green-black duels... Like two of them, I can throw a swamp in that deck and have my three sources and be good to go. Perfect. I've heard yeah, people we, argue that you can, pr- can splash with two, but I, I've never been comfortable doing that because I, I just hate rotting like dying with that splash card rotting in your hand because you splashed it for a reason. Last last little point: splash for stuff that matters late game. Like, don't splash for a 2-drop, even if it's... Unless it's got an absurd activated ability, don't splash for a 2-drop. Splash for a removal spell or something that you're going to cast on turn 5 or 6, because you'll you'll probably have found the lands by then. But even, like, a, a really good aggressive 2-drop, I'm not going to splash for that, because I'm hardly ever going to be able to cast it on
1: turn 2. Yeah. You splash for powerful cards and win cons. Mm-hmm. Things that do something late game. Yeah, exactly. Um. Okay, I... Uh there's no cost to splashing is kind of a joke that we <laughs> we use quite frequently but you know I, I think the difference between two color like two sources on a splash and three course three color or sorry three sources on a splash is is that risk versus reward right so the or, or you're, you're you're hedging your risk in different directions playing fewer sources is hedging your risk more toward getting that card trapped in your hand versus not You know, starting with an opening hand with all of your splash lands and none of your main lands um, and vice versa. Right. Like, where are you leveraging that risk? So I think the people that choose that are okay splashing with only two sources are one side of the coin, whereas you're you and me are on the other side of the coin where it's like, I want to be sure I can cast all my spells. And then, you know, I curse as I look at my opening hand and I have two mountains and a forest in my blue green deck splashing for red removal and it's like well there's no cost to splashing right so just just be advised that there's risk on both of those sides and that reward need that payoff that card you're actually putting in your deck needs to be worth that risk okay well i look forward to having the discussion on your stream with uh, the people in your chat that uh sealed is more luck based and less skill intensive than limited than draft is
0: if that were true, the same people wouldn't be crushing sealed GPs year after year, and they are. Uh, like, I think Owen Turtenwald is the best example of that. I was one of the reasons why I, I laugh when people say that is I used to think that, and then I played against Owen at a GP, and he smushed me, and my deck was better than his. Just it was, and then I was like, you know what? This is this is not luck based. It's not all about what you open. There's a lot of room for play here. Yep,
1: absolutely. But I can't wait because somebody that doesn't listen to this will come in and say that. And then we get to have that conversation like we do all the time. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. It'll be great. No, but Sealed's great. Um, go do it on Arena. If you still have your free uh, pre-release code that if maybe you didn't get a chance to use it or you found one on the street or something like that, like a $20 bill, um, apparently it works you can only see so you can still only redeem one of them so if you redeemed one already you can't come and redeem one for m19 but apparently if you still have one kicking around and you haven't used it yet you can go on and get that that free value which is basically two thousand gems worth of value um and if you're lucky enough to go 5 or whatever the infinite or the sorry the the maximum wins i can't remember if it's five or six um you can earn 2200 gems and kind of keep that rolling so go get that value get that value I think that's going to wrap us up this week. Nice uh, nice episode, nice little return from Thanksgiving. We're a little out of sync on the schedule, so we should be back to normal starting starting next week. But uh, in the meantime, where can they catch you drafting Modern Cube and playing M19 Sealed on Arena? You can find me at twitch.tv slash simulin, S-E-M-U-L-I-N. And I'm at twitch.tv slash that's D-S-A-V-I-L-L-I-A-N. You can follow us on Twitter, we're at Men for Moto. If you're interested in supporting the podcast, you can also check us out. We're on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash menformoto. Thanks to face to face games for the host and all the support. We'll catch you next time.
0: Adios.